Amen. Praise the Lord, everyone. Amen. God is good to us today. Thank Him for His goodness. Amen. If you have a Bible, why don't you take it and turn with me to Daniel chapter number 6. Amen. Daniel chapter 6 uh, starts out and talks about how King Darius, he, he set up his kingdom and he had all of these leaders that were in charge of a whole bunch of different things and how Daniel uh, was living there in captivity, but he had found favor with the king and with many of the people that were there. Uh, but some of the people also that were in charge that were working under the king they didn't like Daniel very much. They wanted to find something wrong with him. They wanted to find a way to, to get rid of him and destroy his life. And so they knew that he was a man of God and that he prayed every day. So they approached the king and uh, they said to him, wouldn't it be a good idea for everyone to only worship you for the next 30 days? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that fluff your ego up? Wouldn't that make you feel good if everyone just would worship you? And the king was deceived by it, and, and so he, he liked what he heard, so he made this law, and he says that no one can pray to anyone else except for me. No one can bow down to anyone but me for the next 30 days. And, and then, um, so this, this law was written, king signed his name to it, and it became a law. And that's where we pick up verse number 10. And it says, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he already knew it wasn't a surprise to him. He knew that the writing was signed. I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says that he went home, and in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, just like he had always done, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before God as his custom since his early days were. Everyone say he was committed. Amen. It would take a great commitment to do what Daniel did. I mean, knowing what the law had just been written, knowing what it said, knowing what would happen to him. And we understand uh, the following verses there. It talks about how the men that were against him saw what he did. They went back and told the king and the king realized what had happened. He had been deceived. He was remorseful for the law that he had written. The Bible even says that he wanted to find a way out of it, and he could not, so they threw Daniel in the lion's den. And the Bible says that the king that entire night didn't sleep, but he just called upon the Lord and said, God, would you protect Daniel? And he went early the next morning, had the stone rolled away, and said, Daniel, Daniel, are you still alive? And he says, fear not, king, for the Lord has brought me out. He sent the lion to shut, he sent the uh, angel to shut the mouths of the lion, and it backfired, and all those guys that had written that law, and they were cast into the lion's den, and those hungry lions got their meal. But when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, he opened up his windows, and he knelt down and prayed just like he always had. Daniel was committed. Exodus chapter number 19 and verse number 8 says, And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord hath spoken, we will do. That was a commitment. Everything that the Lord told them through Moses, they said, we will do whatever the Lord says we are to do. They made a commitment. 
Amen. You could be seated this morning. I have a question for you as we open up this sermon today. How many of you feel like you grew closer to God last year? Amen. Just raise your hand. If you feel like you grew closer to God last year, amen. I want you to acknowledge that today. Amen. One of the goals for last year for this church was our pastor encouraged us as ministry team, and then we brought it to the church, was that we wanted the church to become more spiritual. We wanted people to grow. We wanted to see people grow in their relationship with God. Amen. You don't have to raise your hand, but does anyone feel like we accomplished or we achieved that last year? I'm going to give you my opinion, and it's my own, my own opinion. You may not agree with it, or you might have a different one, but in my opinion— is that I saw growth in in many people last year for a good portion of the year. And I believe that we were a more spiritual church for a good portion of last year. God moved, His Spirit touched, and His blessings fell upon us. And then, like is our typical humanity, we started to slip back into our comfort zones over the last portion of, of last year. And some of this is just the ebbs and flows of life. Sometimes we are more spiritual than at other times. Sometimes we kind of coast along. Sometimes we have problems that are bothering us, and it affects our, our, our relationship with the Lord. I feel that part of it, though, is, is that many of us were helping out in a different church, and from week to week, some of us were missing for a couple months, and we may not have, you may have come to church not knowing who's going to be there, what part of the ministry team's going to be there, and who's not. That could have had an impact upon our services, and some of it had to do with just other factors. But I do feel like there was a good part of last year that we did grow as a church, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the work that God did in many of our lives. I'm thankful that he helped us grow closer to him and helped us to become a more spiritual church. I don't know what our pastor has been feeling from God on the direction that our church should go this year, but One goal that I feel is important for us as individuals and as a collective church body is for us to, for this year, for us to be more committed. Amen. And so with that in mind, I want to preach to us on this subject today, a call to commitment. Amen. A call to commitment. If someone wants to be good at something, there must be commitment. If you look at athletes who are uh, good and who are professional, there has to be a commitment that is made by them to become a professional athlete. If you look at talented musicians or actors, they must be committed to their craft, their trade, their, their instrument, whatever it might be. They must be committed to being good at what they do. Military members, they... They train, and they train, and they train, and they train, and they practice, and they have drills. What are they doing? They're trying to be good or great at what they are doing. Police officers, firefighters, these uh, men and women, they train, and they practice, and they go to classes, and they learn, and they have drills, and they do all these things to try to be good at what they are doing because they're committed to their jobs. Even preachers have to practice at what we do, and we have to plan, and we have to prepare. 
Amen. On Saturdays, while uh, many of you are enjoying your day or doing something that you would like to do, the one that has to bring the word the next morning spends, I don't know about any other preachers, I spend most of my day on Saturday preparing to minister the word that God would put on my heart. Many times I would love to be able to to go out with my family and do something fun or or do what I would like to do, but this is the call that God has placed in my life, and I want to be committed to it. Amen. So hours and hours of practice or preparation and study are required to be good at something. In order to be great at something requires an even deeper level of commitment and dedication. If you look at the world's best athletes, While there are thousands of professional athletes, there are but a few that stand out among the thousands. Amen. If you follow baseball like I do, if the Yankees are playing a certain team that, you know, we play the Red Sox a lot, we play the Orioles a lot, we play the Blue Jays a lot, so you kind of get to know the players on those teams. But when the Yankees play the San Francisco Giants, which is only once every four or five years or so, you don't always recognize the names of the people on those other teams, but yet they are professional athletes. And you might click on their name on the internet box score and look up, hey, I never heard of this guy before. Wow, he's pitched in the major leagues for 10 years. Wow, I never heard of him. We may not understand all the players, all the professional athletes, but we do understand the great ones. If I was to mention, if you have any following whatsoever, if you know anything about baseball, and I mentioned the name Mike Trout, how many of you have ever heard the player Mike Trout before? He plays on the Los Angeles Angels, a team that's kind of obscure. They don't get a whole lot of talk, but he is universally known as the best player in baseball. Why is that? It's because he has dedicated his life. He has committed himself to being the best that he possibly can be. So he is universally looked at as the best player in baseball. He hasn't played for for many years, but Michael Jordan is maybe a little bit of a controversy, but in my opinion, the greatest basketball player that there's ever been to play the game of basketball. Now he has he committed himself. He he worked harder than every other player of his generation and maybe even harder than anyone that has ever played the game. From someone that was cut from his basketball high school basketball team to to someone that became the greatest player in my opinion of all time took dedication, it took work. And if you if you look into his life, you will see the dedication, the hard work that he put in. He worked harder than anyone. Amen. Hour after hour after hour, practicing, practicing, practicing. Um, Greatest hockey player of all time. His nickname is The Great One. Wayne Gretzky. You may not know a lot about hockey, but maybe you've heard the name Wayne Gretzky before. Played for over 20 years, was nicknamed The Great One. If you have a nickname, The Great One, you must have been dedicated. You must have been committed to being great in the craft that you are in. Amen. As much as it pains me to say, Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback in NFL history. Now, some debate it, but I'm 
a team, I root for a team that is his rival, and I have to say that, in my opinion, Tom Brady would be the greatest quarterback to ever play the game of football. No one compares to what he's done in winning Super Bowls and making it to the playoffs and making it to Super Bowl after Super Bowl. And all those, those things that he has done, he has dedicated himself to being the greatest. Amen. All of these that we mentioned today, they all have or had an uncommon work ethic. They go above and beyond the normal player. They were or are committed to being great in the good times and in the bad times. They were or are committed to do whatever they have to do to be great when it is good and when things are going bad. To be great, they are determined. What do the Patriots say? No days off. Isn't that a, a, a motto of the Patriots? They don't take days off in their training. They don't take days off to, to do things that they want to do. They are committed to every single day being better because they are committed to what they are doing. They practice while others sleep. They work while others relax. They push themselves harder and farther because of their commitment to be the best. Commitment is hard work. It requires dedication. It requires time. It requires training. It requires sacrifice. When a commitment is made, obstacles will begin to appear on the path that leads from the commitment that is made to the fulfillment of said commitment that has been made. The thing about obstacles, though, is that most people, when they are confronted with an obstacle, they will either turn around or they will quit altogether. But the great ones, they don't let obstacles stand in their way. They rise above them, they push through them, and they overcome them. Why? Because they are committed. We are here today on the 19th day of this new year, 2020. And I believe that God is calling each of us to greatness this year. He wants each of us to be greater than we have ever been before. So we can't be like everyone else if we are to be great. We can't be like most people. We need to be committed to the work and to the will of God and then push past every obstacle and everything that would stand in our way. We have to work harder. We have to be determined not to take any days off in our walk with God. While everyone around us is spiritually asleep, we must be awake or we must be woke as this generation might say. To everything that God wants us to do, we cannot sleep upon this generation. We cannot sleep in this day that we are living in. We must be awake and we must be working. We must be committed in the good times and we must be committed in the bad times. We must be committed when everything is easy and when we are in the most difficult season of our life. We must have the, the drive to rise above mediocre and to be determined to serve the Lord with all of our hearts, all of our minds, and all of our souls. God is calling us to commitment this year. He's calling us to a commitment to prayer. He's calling us to a commitment to fasting. He's calling us to a commitment to worship. He's calling us to a commitment to being faithful to him. He's calling us to a commitment of service to him this year. He's calling us to a commitment to him. 
in whatever he wants us to do. I believe that we have what it takes to overcome every single obstacle that will try to stop us from achieving what God has planned for us. For greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The biggest challenge in life is never the obstacle that is in the path, but the attitude that we will have in the journey that we are on. We are all going, through, going to go through difficult times in our lives. We are all going to face obstacles in the path that God has laid out for us. We will all have many times where uh, we will struggle, but many times our greatest commitments come out of our greatest struggles. This is why Matthew implores us in chapter 6 and verse 33 to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things shall be added unto us. Everything that we desire, everything that we want, everything that we are searching for will be added unto us if we will seek first his kingdom. If we can learn to commit ourselves to seek him first and foremost above everything else in our lives, he will honor that and he will allow blessings to flow to us in our lives. But it only will come through commitments. Abraham Lincoln once said, commitment is what transforms a promise into reality. We love the promises that God gives to us. Promises of blessings, promises of hope, promises of purpose, promises of anointing. But what we don't like is what we need to endure and what we need to go through to see the promises of God fulfilled to us in our lives. But in the problems and in the troubles is where our commitment is tested and where our commitment is proven unto him. It is our commitment that transforms the promise into reality. Some people meet God in special ways through their difficult that they face in their life. We may not like to admit it, but many times our greatest struggles is where our greatest victories are won. Pastor has told this testimony how when he was 15 years old, he was diagnosed with cancer. Now I'm sure that uh, he wouldn't have chosen that path in his life, but yet through his greatest difficulty through his greatest obstacle. He learned to trust in Jesus like he had never trusted before. And maybe that was the one thing that helped save his soul and put him on the path that he had to be on for him to accomplish the will of God. We can look throughout our lives and through other people that we know. We may not like the things that we go through in our lives. We may not like the struggles that we have to face, but maybe it is those struggles. Maybe it is those difficulties that we must face for us to overcome, for us to get past, for us to realize how much of, of a commitment we have to make to God for us to be able to serve him and live for him the way that he wants us to live. I have a friend who told a testimony one time of how he was called to start a church up in Canada and, and how they were met with some great difficulties. And 
It seemed like everything was crashing down around them. They, they, he lost his job, and, and they had no financial income, and he had his, his family, his wife, and his two kids, and, and they had no money to pay their bills, and they were too embarrassed to go and talk to anybody about that, and they were too embarrassed to ask for help. And, and so what did they do? They lived out of their van for three months. They had no home to live in, but yet they were so driven by the call that God had placed in their life that he was willing to do whatever it took to see that, that, that commitment that he made fulfilled. He was willing to do whatever it took to, to make sure that that church was, was planted and was established so that people in that city would be, would be able to hear the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many of us today are that committed in our lives that we would be willing to do whatever we have to do, whether it be losing or giving up everything that we own and living inside of our car for months at a time to see God move in our lives and to see his promises fulfilled? How many of us are that committed to the Lord today that we would go through that kind of a hard and difficult time? We may not like the bad things and the, the difficult times that come into our lives, but they may be necessary to draw us close to God and possibly even save our souls. And we may not like to say this today, but I want to say if that's what it takes for us to see God move in our life, if that's what it takes for my soul to be saved, if that's what it takes for me to, to learn a new level of commitment, then that's what I want to see happen to me. And that's what I would hope that you would be willing to go through today to see our level of commitment proven unto the Lord. There are many unique and uncommon and even weird ways that God reached the people in the Bible. We can read about a time where a blind man came to Jesus and what did Jesus do? Jesus spit right in his eyes. And he wiped it off, told him to go cleanse, and, and the man was healed. He, he received the sight. There was another time another blind man came, and he spit in the ground, and he took that, that mud, and he picked up that mud, and he wiped it upon the blind man's eyes, told him to go wash in a pool. And after he did what he was told to do, he received this sight. We can read about how a donkey... Uh, spoke to a man after he saw an angel, and, and God did a miracle through that. There's a lot of weird stories, weird accounts of how God moved in the Bible. But, these are, but all, all of these weird ways were ways that God worked to see miraculous things happen. It proves to us that the scripture is true where it says that the Lord moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. God may not always move the way that we expect him to move. God may not always do what we want him to do, the way that we want him to do it. But we need to be willing to trust the Lord and allow him to do that kind of work, whatever it might be in our life. We need to trust God for him to move. Genesis chapter number 32 tells a familiar story, a familiar account of the life of Jacob and something that happened to Jacob and a life-changing experience and a future-altering moment. It says that Jacob was on a journey back to his home country, as the Lord had told him to do. On his way, he gets a message that his brother Esau is coming to, to meet him and that he has 400 men that are with him. As you recall, this is the same brother Esau that uh, he convinced to sell his birthright to him for, his, for a bowl of soup. It's the same brother that vowed to take revenge on him. And so when Jacob hears that Esau's coming, and not only is he coming by himself, but he's, he's got 400 men riding with him, and Jacob becomes afraid. 
he splits his family up into two different groups, and he says, you know, you go this way, and this other group of my family will go this other way. And, you know, if Esau takes his revenge on one, at least the other ones will survive. And he sends lots of gift, gifts to Esau and trying to appease him and to show him his remorse and to gain forgiveness from his brother. And then after all of this is done, after the gifts are sent, after the families are on their way, This is where we pick up in verse number 24. It says, Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the the socket of his hip. This is the man that Jacob was wrestling with. He saw that he wasn't prevailing, so he touched the hollow of Jacob's hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint, and yet he still wrestled with him. This man, he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so he said unto him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, what is it that you should ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him. The Bible says, and Jacob limped on his hip. Some have said that this was an angel that Jacob wrestled with. Some have said that it was a form of God himself. But whomever it was, the Bible says that Jacob and this heavenly being wrestled together until the sun came up. Think about what that would look like. Have you ever stopped for a moment to think about what that would look like? An earthly man wrestling with a heavenly angel or heavenly being. Why did they start wrestling? Did you ever question why? Why they start wrestling? I mean, I don't don't know what you would do, but I mean, if I was walking down a road and and I saw an angel or I saw a heavenly being, whatever it was. I don't know if I would just run, wrap my arms around this guy and just start wrestling with him. I don't know that if I saw God himself standing before me, if I'd run over and tackle him and start. I think more so I would tend to fall on my face in reverence and worship. But what was it about this moment that caused Jacob to decide to start wrestling with this heavenly being? What I think is that there was such a desperation inside of Jacob. He felt like his life was about to end. There's 400 men riding towards him, thinking he's thinking, surely I'm going to die tomorrow. Surely this is the end for me. And there was such a desperation inside of Jacob that maybe the only thing he could think of in that moment was, I, I'm not going to, whatever it takes, I'm committed. I'm not letting this guy go. I need something to happen in my life. I need something to change in my life. When people look at me and they hear the name Jacob, they immediately think, man, this guy's a deceiver. This guy's done something terrible to have earned that name. And so I'm going to wrestle. If it takes wrestling, 
I'm going to wrestle. Maybe he approached this guy, this heavenly being, and says, hey, can you bless me? And, and the heavenly being spoke back to him and said, no, I don't got time for you, and started climbing up his ladder as we talk about. Maybe he reached up on that ladder, grabbed that heavenly being, drags him off the ladder, and says, hey, will you bless me? No, I'm not going to bless you. And he starts climbing, back, and he reaches back up and pulls him back off that ladder, and that's when the wrestling match started. I don't know how it began, but the Bible says that he wrestled with him until the day was breaking, and he said, I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I have something. I have this desperate need inside of my life. I am desperate for something. I need my life to be changed. My life could be over tomorrow. I don't know what's going Going to happen, but I need something to change about myself. And we see here how, how he wrestled, and the, the, the man knew that he wasn't going to prevail against him, but he knew he had to get out of there. So, what does he do? He reaches down and he takes Jacob's leg and he dislocates his hip. And he says, No longer will you be called Jacob, no longer will you be known as a deceiver. No longer will people look at you and think, hey, he's the guy that cheated his brother out of his birthright. But now your name is going to be called Israel. And in that moment, in that special, mysterious, that weird, that unexplainable moment that we might look at and say, man, this is a weird way to receive a blessing. But in that weird moment of Jacob's life, we see the birth of a nation that was started on that very night where his name is changed from a deceiver to Israel. You have power. You are a prince with God. And we understand how the nation of Israel was started in that moment and how we see today how God's promise is still upon the nation of Israel and his protection is still upon the nation of Israel and his promise is still there that he's going to protect them and be with them. What an awesome moment that came out of something weird. It wasn't something that I think Jacob would have chosen to have happen in his life. And many times I think God wants to move in our lives, but we're not willing to do what God wants to do because it's not how we want God to move. Are we willing to do whatever it takes? Are we as committed as Jacob was to receive that kind of blessing? That we'd be willing to wrestle with someone all night long? That we'd be willing to give up our dignity? That we'd be willing to be embarrassed if someone walked by because we're receiving the blessing in an unusual way? Are we committed to receiving everything that God wants to give to us. Are we committed today? You see, Jacob, he was freed from his past. And he was set on the course for a brighter future. Because he was committed. Because he was committed, his life was changed. And in our scripture text that we read today about Daniel. It's definitely one of my favorite Bible stories for, I mean, Daniel was named after me. And, yeah. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It talks about how Daniel knew. I mean, the Bible is very clear. It says, and Daniel knew that the law was signed. He knew exactly what would happen to him if he was caught. And yet, he didn't go and keep his windows closed and change his routine. He didn't go and 
pray very quietly, but the Bible says that he went and did as he always did every other day. He opened up his windows to Jerusalem. He got down on his knees and he began to cry out to God. And his prayer was just as fervent as it was in every other single day when he understood that he needed to call out to his God. He knew the consequences that would be awaiting him. He knew what would happen to him. And yet still, he was committed to calling out to his God. We can have an experience with God like Jacob's or like Daniel's that would yield us a life-altering result. These are unusual ways to get a blessing. Anyone here want to be thrown in a lion's den? I didn't think so. None of us would want to be thrown into a den of lions. But it was in the den of lions where God met with Daniel and where God performed a miracle in Daniel's life. And it was because of the miraculous work of the lion's den that a king's heart was turned away from idolatry and was turned towards God. It may have only been for a short time. He may have turned back to the idolatry a time later. But for a period of time, Daniel's life was exalted. Daniel's God was exalted. And a nation was turned towards the Lord. It might be in our unusual way. It might be in in an unusual way, a weird way that God will choose to bless us that will yield incredible results to us in our life. But are we committed to doing whatever it takes to receive that kind of blessing? We go through things in our lives many times to drive us closer to God. We may not like the trouble, but we've got to be committed to trusting the Lord. God can give you a revelation of who he is in a very unexpected way. But if we had our choice, we would choose the easy way. We would choose for God to have someone come up to us and whisper in our ear and say, God is going to do this for you and God is going to bless you in this way. And that's the exciting way, isn't it? But facing a lion or having to wrestle with someone or having to go through a fiery furnace, those are not the things that we would choose. But sometimes that's how God will work. If we had our choice, we would get what we want and never have to struggle. But it's not how God always works. We must be committed to his plan and to his will. God wants to bless us, but it may not come how you want it. But it will come if we are committed. Some of your biggest eye-opening or spirit-opening moments may not ever come in a church service, but may come in your personal prayer time with the Lord. You may never receive what God wants to give to you deep inside of your life by standing at an altar or having your hands lifted up here in this place, but it may come in your own personal prayer time at home where God can minister deeply into your life. Times when we don't really like it, times when we may be burdened down, times when we may be afraid, but Still, we go as Daniel did, and we open up our windows, and every like we did every other day, just like everything else was going just the same, and we cry out to God, and we say, God, I need you today. It doesn't matter what happens to me, God, I need you today. 
Amen. That very often he quoted scripture, Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will hear, heal their lands. We want God to hear us. We want God to forgive us. We want God to bless us. We want God to anoint us. But how many times do we want these things and more? But we forget what it takes, that it takes a commitment and prayer in order for us to get them. The scripture says, if my people, and then he says, if you do that, then will I bless them, then will I forgive them, then will I heal their land. There are many times when that we need to be more, uh, there are many things, excuse me, that we need to be more committed to this year. And I think none may be more important than prayer. You see, prayer changes us. Jacob was changed in his encounter with this man. We could call it a deep prayer meeting a deep seeking. Daniel was saved because of his committed prayer, his commitment to prayer. Not only him, but a king's heart was turned towards God. We can and we will be changed if we will commit ourselves to prayer and to seeking the face of God. Did you know that one of the only things that the disciples ever asked Jesus for was to teach them how to pray? They could have asked him how to perform miracles. They could have asked him to show them the future. They could have asked how to get rich. But I think that they saw firsthand the power of prayer. And they knew that if they could tap into that power, that their lives would be changed and that they could impact people's lives around them. If we can get this kind of appetite and appreciation and burden for prayer in our lives, things will change. But we need a commitment to prayer. We need an authentic experience with God like Jacob had, where we know that we have met him, where we know that we have been in his presence, where we know that we, we have touched him and he has reached down and touched us. Jacob never walked the same after that moment. Every step that he took was a reminder to him of the moment that he had in the presence of the Lord. People don't, didn't look at him the same way moving forward, but his name was changed after that encounter. I want to be touched so deeply with by God in my life that I don't walk the same way that I used to walk. I want to be touched so deeply by God that other people will recognize that there's a difference about me in my life. I want to be touched by God where it's recognizable that something has happened to me in my life. Amen. Pastor preached a couple weeks ago. The title of his message was Something Needs to Change. Let me reword that And say that some things need to change in our lives. Some things need to change in our lives so that something can change. And one of those things that needs to change in our lives is for a burden and a desire for prayer and to be close to God every single day. God is calling us to be more committed this year. He's calling us to be more committed to prayer, to be more committed to fasting, to be more committed to worship, to be more committed to his word, to be more committed to faithfulness, to be more committed to holiness, to be more committed to service, to be more committed to him. In every avenue, 
every aspect, every part of our life. He wants us to be more committed. We need a sovereign move of God in our lives and in our church. That's where he can do the miraculous among us and real change can happen for us. But these things, they don't happen by accident. The foundation of these things to happen begin with a commitment to faithfulness, to prayer, to fasting, to living a life of worship that glorifies God in everything that we do. We need to get a hold of God in our lives more than we normally do. It's more than just coming to church on a Sunday, but God is calling each of us to something deeper with him this year. He's calling us to a complete commitment, committing all of our hearts, all of our lives to him. It's more than just showing up to church at 1030. It's more than just showing up to church late, but God is calling us to involve ourselves in prayer before service so that we can set our, set the atmosphere for him to be able to move and for him to be able to bless us. Most of the time when a call like this is given, many people will begin to weigh the cost and the consequences of what it will mean for them to accept this type of call into our lives. It may mean giving up some of our pleasures it may mean, mean giving up giving up some of the things that we, are, uh, that we are in love with. It may cause people to look at us differently. It may inconvenience us. But what will happen to you and what will happen to me and what will happen to this church, if we were to accept the call of commitment that God is giving to us this year, it may feel weird for a while. It may be uncomfortable for a while. It may be inconvenient to us for a while, but it will bring us closer to God and it will change us to be what in who God wants us to be. If I have to go through a little inconvenience in my life, if I have to be uncomfortable for a, a little while in my life, I want to do whatever it takes for God to touch me. I want to do whatever it takes for God to move in my life. I want to do whatever it takes for God to change this church and to bring us closer to him and help us to become more spiritual in our walk with God. Whatever it takes, I want the call of commitment to get deep inside of my heart this year more than it ever has. I want to live for God like I never have before. For too long, many Christians have this continual cycle of struggling with the same thing over and over again. But can I tell you today, a real commitment can break that cycle of sin or pain or regret or frustration, or whatever it is, once and for all. It can be broken through commitment to Him. We all need a renewed commitment to the things of God in our lives. God has a plan and a purpose for every one of us here today. But in order for us to fulfill that, we must completely be committed to Him and to doing His work. God is giving us a call to commit today. So without any pleading this morning, I leave you with this. God has issued the call. God's asking us to commit. It's a call that could change our lives. It's a call that could change our church. What will you do with the call that God is issuing in your life today? I don't have any fancy ending today. I'm not going to beg you to call on the name of the Lord. All I'm going to do today is ask you that question one more time. What will you do 
with the call that God has given to us today. Will you accept the call today? Or will you let the call just pass on by? Will we choose the uncomfortable this morning? Or will we choose to remain in our comfort zones? Will we allow the God to draw us closer to Him? Or will we continue on the path that we've always been on? We may make it to heaven on that same path, but we may never experience the true blessings of God. We may feel God's presence, but we may never feel revival. What are you going to do with the call that God is placing to us today? Hallelujah.
in our life sometimes people become uncomfortable in situations like this but there are times in our life where it will take a personal commitment I have on my desk I asked my son to go get it for me I've had on my desk for about a month now if you see my desk in the back you'll you'll go in there and see cards and little notes on there I have on my desk the definition of commitment it was given by a man by the name of Howard Thurman says commitment means that it is possible for a man to yield the nerve center of his consent to a purpose or cause, a movement or an ideal, which may be more important to him than whether he lives or dies. That is probably the best definition of commitment I have ever read in my entire life. Amen. We need commitment, praise God. I believe the Lord is calling us to these things. Amen. As he is coming so soon. Praise God. I meant to mention a couple of weeks ago and it slipped my mind. I'll mention it to you. Beginning in February, I know we have our Bible reading program. And I don't want to um, uh, take anything away from that. But I would like for us this year to do something. There are two books in the Bible side by side. The Old Testament book of Psalms and then the book of Proverbs. The book of Psalms gives us great encouragement 
along those lines through it. And then the book of Proverbs gives us great instruction. So beginning in February, what I'd like for us to do is to get involved in reading the book of Psalms and the book of Proverbs along with our Bible reading program, but to do Psalms and Proverbs every month for the entire year. And how we're going to do it is every day, if you read five Psalms and one chapter in Proverbs, except for February, which you might have to do a little extra reading, but you will through the month read through the entire book of Psalms and the entire book of Proverbs. And what I'd like for us to do is start off reading in the King James Version, five chapters in Psalms, one chapter in Proverbs. The first month, the second month, I'd like for us to read the Living Bible. The third month, I'd like for us to read the New Living Translation. The fourth month, I'd like for us to read the NIV, and I'll try to remind everybody this, but it'll give us perspective, and I believe it will help us to become a better a better person and a better Christian and God can speak to us through these things amen through his word praise God Um, there's no doubt we could read it a hundred times and a hundred times God could show us something different there's there's great wealth there's great help in these two books and that's along with our Bible reading program reading through the Bible in a year Amen. So if you would do that, we'll announce it again. We'll remind you about it. Um, But five chapters in Psalms and and one chapter in Proverbs. Amen. And I believe it will help us to become better. Praise God. Thank you, Brother Dan, for preaching what you did to us today. I don't want to say a whole lot more, except I want the Lord to be able to say what he needs to say to your heart. And I believe he is. Praise God. Amen. Remember remember service throughout the week. Be faithful to the house of the Lord. Amen. And uh, let God, amen, be faithful in each of our lives. Praise God.